I wonder if you've had that meeting with the Lord, that meeting by which your life has been changed, by which you came to know him, Uh, not just know about him, but that meeting where you came to know Jesus deep down within your soul, not only as your savior and your Lord, but, but, but as your friend where you've come to know him in a way that your life has been shaped and changed and made different because of it. Because when we meet with the Lord, when we truly know him, our lives are different because Jesus changes everything. And over the next few weeks, that's what we're going to be talking about is how Jesus changes everything. How knowing Jesus changes our lives, how it shapes us, how it transforms us, how it moves us and makes us from one way of life into a new way of life. If you really know Jesus... Not just know about him, not just that you've heard about him, not just that you have a few stories that you could tell, but if you know Jesus relationally, intimately, it changes everything about your life. Knowing Jesus changes your desires, it changes your interests, it changes the way that you see the world, the way that you see others, it it changes the things that you seek after within your life. It changes and it shapes your character and who you are and how you relate to others. It's what a meeting with the Lord does. So I wonder this morning, if you've had that meeting, I wonder this morning if you know him. Our scripture passage comes from Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 7 through 11. Uh, and as we're reading this, you know, it's, it's good to know that Paul uh, is the person who is writing this letter to the church at Philippi. As Paul's writing this, you know, Paul's somebody who's had that meeting with the Lord. And actually, Paul is in prison as he's writing this letter to the Philippians. Uh, and he's writing this letter not, not complaining uh, about what's going on, not, not whining, not feeling sorry for himself. He's writing this letter filled with joy, and he wants the Philippian church to know Jesus. The same way that he has come to know Jesus. He wants the church to know Jesus in that way that shapes and transforms their lives so that that nothing else matters. And no circumstance they go through is important because they have that hope and that peace and that joy that comes from knowing Jesus, from having had that meeting with the Lord. And so before Paul goes into this section here in verse 7, he tells them, he's like, you know what? He's like, I've, I've been down other paths. I've been down other roads. It's like, I've been down the very religious road. Even I'm, I'm a Jew out of all the Jewish people. I'm as, as Jewish as you can get. I've, I'm born into a connection with God. And on top of that, I'm a Pharisee out of all the Pharisees. I got all the education. I did all the studying. I did everything that I needed to do. And, and I was so on fire about this religious way of life that I was even persecuting those who were following Jesus. But whenever I met Jesus, when I encountered him, when I had a meeting with him, and I came to know him in a real and intimate way, my life is changed and shaped because of it. And he says this in verse 7, he says, whatever gains I have, basically whatever whatever gains I had by being born a Jew, by being a Pharisee out of all the Pharisees, out of all the educational attainment that I had, whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss. Because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things 
Remember, he's writing uh, while he's in prison. I've suffered the loss of all things, but I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. So I was on Facebook the other day, you know, the the site that nobody likes, but everybody checks daily. Um, And and it said that I had a new friend request. And I used to be at the place where, you know, I would just accept friend requests, but I'm I'm a little bit more cautious now. I don't just accept anybody's friend request. And so I was looking to try to figure out who it was that sent me a friend request and I didn't recognize them. I didn't know who they were. It said we had some mutual friends and I'm looking at the mutual friends list and I'm not sure who, how they knew uh, these mutual friends, just different people from different walks of life and different groups. And so I was kind of curious. I haven't, I haven't accepted the friend request yet uh, because I've never met the person before. I don't, I don't know them. And so I always wonder about those kind of things. You know, how can we be friends if we've never met? I mean, how can you be friends with somebody that you don't even know? And then my mind went down a rabbit hole, uh, which sometimes happens. I started thinking, I've been friends with some people on Facebook for a long time. You know, you get those messages that pop up every now and then. You've been friends with so-and-so for eight years. You've been friends with this person for 12 years. Uh, And I began to wonder, it's like, okay, it tells me that we've been friends for this long, but, but are we really even friends, me and these people that I've known for all this time? Do we really know each other? Do I really know what's going on in their life? I mean, sure, I might see some pictures or I'll see some, I'll see them, you know, going to Disney with their kids or or whatever else it might be. But but do I really know what's going on in their life? Do they really know what's taking place in in my life? Do we really know each other? Facebook says we're friends, but do we know each other or do we just know about each other? Maybe I've seen a picture or heard a story I know facts about them, but do I know them? Does their life affect my life on a personal basis? I wonder this morning, how many of us could say, I know Jesus. Not just I know about Jesus, but I know Jesus. See, in our passage, when Paul says, I want to know Christ, he means a whole lot more than just saying, I want to know some facts about Jesus. He means a lot more than just saying, well, I know that Jesus lived a long time ago, that he was a great teacher. Uh, I'd venture to say that Paul means more than being able to say, well, I can recite the creed. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I I want the same power that raised him from the dead to live and to dwell within me. I want that kind of Jesus life for myself says, I want to know the sharing of sufferings by becoming like him in his death. I want to give up everything I'm willing to give up, to lose everything for the sake of Christ. Because my life has been so changed and affected and shaped through my knowing him. It's the kind of knowing that can have a profound impact on a person's life. 
This kind of knowing Christ that Paul is talking about is the kind of knowing that has the power to redeem the past, uh, to, to heal the present, the kind of knowing that gives a hope for the future. It's the kind of knowing that changes everything about us. Paul doesn't just want to know that Jesus died and rose again. He he doesn't just want to know that Jesus healed the sick or that he ate with sinners, that he had 12 disciples who followed him all throughout Galilee, that he was born of Mary in Bethlehem, that he uh, was brought on trial before Pontius Pilate. He's, He's not talking about a history lesson. He doesn't want to know Jesus like you and I might know George Washington or, or Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It's not factual knowledge that Paul is talking about. He's saying, I want to know him intimately. I, I, I want to know him. I want to have had a meeting with him whereby my life is changed forever. Where his death becomes my death and his life becomes my life. The kind of knowing where Paul says that he's regarded everything else as loss because of knowing Jesus. That everything else that he's experienced in life, everything that he's gained in life, it matters nothing to him because he's met and he's encountered, he's known Jesus. The factual knowledge, just knowing about Jesus, knowing some of the stories about Jesus, that's not the kind of knowing that's worth regarding everything as loss for. I mean, knowing about Jesus is great. Knowing the story of his life is wonderful. But knowing Jesus, the same way I might know about any other historical person, is not worth suffering the loss of all things. Knowing some good stories about Jesus isn't the change-your-life kind of experience. I mean, in the end, knowing about Jesus isn't going to do anything for me. But to know him, to be found in him, to be made righteous or be made right with God by him, Paul says that's what it's all about. To have encountered Jesus, to have that meeting with him whereby our hearts are shaped and changed. It says that is worth giving up everything. So I wonder... If you've had that encounter with Jesus. I wonder, do you know Jesus in a way that you would regard everything else as rubbish? So that you could be found in him. Have you experienced the power of resurrection in your life? Is your life being changed and transformed daily? Do you have a peace that passes all understanding? Can you choose joy and live into it? Can you say with Paul that everything else is rubbish, that it's garbage, and it means nothing Because now you have Jesus. See, when people know Jesus, their lives are changed. Their outlook is changed. The way they spend their time, the way they spend their money, their cares and concerns, the passions that move and motivate them, it all changes when you know Jesus. There was a man uh, named Zacchaeus. You can read his story in Luke chapter 19. Uh, But Zacchaeus uh, was a tax collector. He was a Jewish tax collector. He was living in the Galilee region among a bunch of other people who were Jewish people. Uh, And he was collecting taxes on behalf of the Roman Empire. Now, uh, if you know anything about that time period, you would know that the Jewish people did not like that the Romans were in charge, that they had taken over everything, all of their land, and they did not like paying taxes to Rome to support the Roman occupation of their territory. It was something that bothered them greatly. 
And so Zacchaeus being a tax collector was not somebody who was well liked. Uh, he was a traitor. He was working for uh, the, the empire that was in charge of him. Now, being a tax collector was uh, actually a decent kind of job other than the fact that nobody liked you because it paid pretty well. And if you played your cards right, if you knew how to work the game a little bit, you could make a little bit of side money on top of whatever you were getting paid. Uh, a tax collector could go up to somebody and say, you know what, the Roman Empire is charging you uh, 10 pieces of gold. But I'm going to charge you 15. Uh, and they'll just scrape the 5 off the top and send the 10 on to Rome and everything will be alright. And if you decide, you know what, I don't want to pay my taxes, they have the backing of the Roman Empire, of the army behind them. So it would force you to pay it. Essentially, tax collectors would not just work on behalf of Rome, but they would take a little bit extra on top of the regular taxes that they were collecting. They were stealing from their own people. Where we find Zacchaeus in the story is that he's made himself pretty rich by charging extra on people's taxes, by basically stealing from the people. But he heard about this guy named Jesus who was coming to town. He knew about Jesus, you could say. I mean, he had heard some of the stories. He was intrigued. He was interested. And the crowds were gathering as Jesus was entering into town and Zacchaeus went out to see him. And when Jesus saw him, he called out to him and he said, Zacchaeus, I see you, and I'm going to come over to your house today. Which is kind of one of the really interesting things about it, right? I mean, Zacchaeus is going out to see Jesus, but Jesus sees him. Uh, Zacchaeus is going out to meet him, and Jesus doesn't say, hey, Zacchaeus. Uh, he doesn't wait for Zacchaeus to invite him over. In fact, Jesus invites himself into Zacchaeus' life. It's one of the things that Jesus does, that he, that he shows up and he says, hey, can I come in? He comes and he knocks at the door and says, hey, I'm here. I want to meet with you. I want to encounter you. Are you ready? Are you open for this kind of encounter? Are you open and ready for this kind of change that I'm going to bring into your life? Zacchaeus uh, says yes. He says, okay, Jesus, you want to come over? Let's come over. We'll share in this meal together. All the, all the other people are a little bit upset about this. Like, why is Jesus going to visit with Zacchaeus? Don't they know who he is? But Jesus isn't always worried about those kinds of things. And so he goes over to Zacchaeus' house. They're sharing in a meal together. And as they share in this time, Zacchaeus gets to know Jesus. Not just knowing about him. Not just knowing some of the stories. But he has that personal encounter. He has a meeting with the Lord. What he heard about in story became his own reality and he was no longer just knowing about Jesus. It was no longer a nice story about what Jesus had done for somebody else. Zacchaeus knew what Jesus had done and was doing for him. Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Today in this moment, in this very present, salvation is here. And as Zacchaeus goes from knowing about Jesus to knowing Jesus, his life has changed. Zacchaeus makes the declaration, he says, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Do we hear the difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus? See, when you know about Jesus, you can go on and live your life however you want to. Your life is yours to do as you please. Knowing about Jesus means that he's an accessory on your already full life. But when you know Jesus, 
When you know Christ and the power of his resurrection, when his righteousness has become your righteousness, your life is changed and transformed. He's no longer an accessory to your life. He is your life. And you end up doing crazy things like Zacchaeus where you give away half of your possessions to the poor. Where you pay back people four times whatever it is that you took from them. And when you know Jesus, all the wealth in the world, all the status in the world, all the power in the world is rubbish. You count it all as loss. Because knowing Jesus, having his peace, his hope, his joy, deep down with inside of you, Having the hope of resurrection, not only in the days to come, but in the present moment. It's all that you need to hold on to. So I wonder, do you know Jesus? It's really this question, I think, in part that helped launch the Methodist movement. John Wesley and his brother Charles wanted to know Jesus. I mean, they knew a lot about Jesus. But they knew there was something more. See, John and Charles grew up in the early 1700s in England. Their father was an Anglican priest, uh, so they grew up in the church. Their mother was, uh, Susanna was well uh, known, well taught, well read. And so every day of the week she would uh, teach them. They would do Bible studies with their mom together. I mean, they grew up surrounded by the church. John and Charles went on to Oxford University where they studied, uh, where John became an Anglican priest. While he was studying and earning his master's degree, he was a fellow at Lincoln College where he taught Greek, he taught New Testament, he moderated daily disputations. I mean, he was somebody who knew a lot about Jesus. In 1736, he traveled from England to the colony of Georgia. He was going to go serve the colonists and evangelize the natives. While I was on that trip, uh, a big storm came up. When he was crossing over from England to Georgia, a huge storm came up and it began to toss the ship to and fro. The storm shredded the mainsail, it flooded the decks, and all of the English people on board the ship were screaming in terror that they would be swallowed up by the deep. There also happened to be a group of German Moravian Christians aboard that boat. And as the storm raged, as everyone else panicked, the entire deal. John Wesley was amazed. He didn't have that kind of peace in his life. As the storm raged, he had all kinds of worry and fear and doubt. And so he wanted to see what it was that the Moravians had. <clears throat> he went up to him and he says, were you all not afraid? And one of the Moravian men answered and said, I thank God, no. And John Wesley asked, he says, but were not your women and children afraid? To which he replied, no, our women and children are not afraid to die. So Wesley knew that something was missing. He served his time on his mission in Savannah, uh, which didn't really generate any good results. And he kind of came back to England with his tail tucked between his legs. He felt depressed and defeated and he longed to have the kind of faith that he saw within the Moravian Christian people. It was five months later after returning to England, he attended a service at a society on Aldersgate Street. And this is an entry from his journal. He says, in the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street, where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, 
while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ. Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was giving me that he had taken away my sins, even mine. And he saved me from the law of sin and death. John Wesley felt his heart strangely warmed. He went from knowing about Christ, and even serving Christ within the church, to knowing Christ fully. He went from knowing that Jesus saves to knowing that Jesus had saved him. From knowing that Jesus takes sins away to knowing that Jesus had taken his sins away. He had an encounter with Jesus that changed everything. And from that point on, his life was different. He began to go out into the streets and the fields, to the mines and the factories, anywhere and everywhere, and he began to preach and tell everybody about this amazing grace of God. The great love of God that came to him, that saved him, that redeemed him, that lifted him up out of the mire and gave him new life. He organized societies and movements. He influenced those who helped end slavery in England. He encouraged people to care for the poor and established new churches throughout England and into the United States. He remained an Anglican priest and because of his great enthusiasm for Jesus, he oftentimes uh, received a lot of scorn from his fellow Anglican priests. You know, you're too enthusiastic. I mean, Methodist, whenever it started, was really a, a put down. It was meant to be a pejorative. It was meant to, to be something that was a, a knock on the church. But Wesley didn't care. He wasn't concerned about what anybody else thought about him, what anybody else had to say, or what they had to do, because his life had been changed through his encounter with Jesus. He didn't just know about him. He knew him. When you know Jesus... When you have a relationship with Jesus, it changes everything. When you know Jesus, not just knowing about him, not just as an accessory to your life, but when you've encountered him, your life begins to change. Paul says when you know Jesus that everything else can be counted as rubbish. Once you know Jesus, once you know the power of resurrection, once you know a righteousness that's found in him, a right standing with God that comes through faith in Christ alone, once you have an assurance of your salvation that comes from knowing Christ, knowing that he knows you and that he loves you deeply, that life has changed. It's forever different. This morning, if you're here, maybe you've known about Jesus for a long time. Maybe you've known about Jesus, you've heard all the stories, maybe you've been in church your whole life, but you say, I'm not sure that I know Jesus, at least not in the way that Paul or Zacchaeus or John Wesley did, but I want to. I'm going to give you that opportunity this morning to spend some time in prayer to seek him. Scripture tells us that when we seek him, we will find him. When we draw near to him, that he will draw near to us. We open up the doors of our heart and let him in, that he'll come in. And he'll make us new. Maybe you're here this morning and you might say, you know what, I've, I've never known Jesus. I don't really even know a whole lot about him. But I know that I need my life to be different. 
I want that peace, I want that joy, I want that hope that he gives. I need that healing from my past hurts. I need the forgiveness of my sins. I want to know the power of resurrection at work within my life. I invite you to come forward in a moment as well. We're going to pray together and then as our closing song plays, actually I'm going to invite everybody to come and spend some time at the prayer rail, seeking God's face, seeking to know Jesus. Seeking that you would experience that kind of transformation in your life where you can count everything else as rubbish because you know him. Because you have that assurance deep down within your heart and with your soul that God is with you in the midst of whatever storms you face in this life and in the life to come. So let us pray. Gracious and almighty God, we give you thanks for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. For his life, death, and resurrection, which has offered new life to us. Lord, we want to know you. We do want to know that power of resurrection at work within us. We need that peace that passes all understanding. We need a heart that's full of your joy, filled to overflowing. So we invite you to come in and change and transform us. To meet us here this morning that we might have that encounter with you that changes our life forever. And I pray that you would do that as we seek your face, Lord, that you would meet us and change us and shape us. And the world might be changed because of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.